millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast. Australia have named their ODI squad for the 2023 ODI World Cup that's happening in India in just over a month's time. My name is Josh Schonefinger, joined again by Louis Cameron, and we're going to go through the squad to discuss what's happened and what the team has been up to in South Africa as well over the last little week and a bit. We've also got Sean Abbott joining the podcast later in this episode. Louis Cameron will be speaking to him, so make sure you hang around for that. But first of all, why don't we say hello to Louis Cameron, who's in Melbourne, and he's been watching the Aussies from afar. I have been, yeah, so are you. Um, so have you been, uh, Josh, and it's weird kind of doing one of these not in person. We got, you know, so intimate and close doing them in England face-to-face and now we're back to our Zoom screen. So a little bit sad but, um, you know, hopefully it won't be too long before we're doing them again in person around the World Cup. Uh, we might have a few other people kind of on board along the way. Interesting World Cup squad. We just saw it a, a couple of hours ago. No real surprises were there in terms of, you know, probably that man, Sean Abbott, who um, we've got on the podcast, as you mentioned. He's probably the one, not surprised, but probably the one, you know, you might have debated about whether he'd, he'd make it or not. Um, yeah, so an interesting, um, interesting addition. Yeah, let's run through that squad of 15. Now, we've been told it's just a provisional squad. Australia can still make changes to this, but we may as well take it as gospel that this is the 15 that they're taking to the World Cup. We've got uh, four all-rounders, Mitch Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, Cameron Green. Three sort of out-and-out batters to go with them, David Warner, Steve Smith and Travis Head. Two keepers. We've got a backup this time. Alex Carey is joined by Josh Inglis behind the stumps. Only two specialist spinners, Adam Zampa and Ashton Agar, and then four quicks. Pat Cummins will be captain again. Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark and Sean Abbott is the 15th man to join them there. It's a pretty balanced squad, as we've said on the website. Lots of all-rounders and lots of pace bowling options. Not a whole heap of spin options. Yeah, I guess they've kind of gone all in on Adam Zampa, Ashton Agar, who are two proven performers in white ball cricket, and Glenn Maxwell. I mean, it kind of looks like they're putting a lot on his shoulders, particularly if they go with the team balance where they, they might bat as low as eight. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that um, when we kind of ask some questions about um, you know, the, the biggest questions out of this World Cup squad. But, yeah, it's probably putting a lot in, into, you know, those three in particular. We know India is going to be a place where spin's really important through the middle overs. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess maybe the other one is, is Josh Inglis is the, the backup wicketkeeper slash batter. They haven't, as you said, there's only really three specialist batters in there um, in terms of you've got Head, uh, Warner, and Smith. Head also bowls a bit. And if Maxwell, for whatever reason, can't play because he's got a bit of an issue with his leg, um, you know, he might be required to bowl some overs as well. So um, it's it's a very versatile squad. There's a, a, pretty much everyone there can do multiple things. Um, so I think that will hold Australia in good stead with maybe some of the team balances they might look at. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no limit of different permutations they could have, is there? I mean, two quicks or three quicks or two spinners, one spinner and then spin bowling all-rounders and pace bowling all-rounders. So there's lots of versatility there. As you said, we've also seen Cam Green bat as low as eight in some of the ODIs of the last 12 months. So certainly plenty of options there for Australia. And a big question will be who opens the batting. That's the first burning question we're going to get to here. Uh, There's a few options. David Warner, of course, is the mainstay in that position but hasn't been sort of around the white ball squad for a little bit of time. Travis Head and Mitch Marsh held down those positions uh, in India in March. And where do you reckon they're leaning to for those crucial two uh, first two spots, Lou? Yeah, well, this is a really interesting one because David Warner, as you mentioned, has missed quite a lot of white ball cricket. He's, um, just the fact he's been a 3-4 mat player for so long has meant the ODIs over the last couple of years have um, kind of maybe been on the back burner for him a little bit. But the interesting one, I suppose, was when he came, he was around the squad for the three-match series in India 
early this year that was tacked on the back of the the test tour and that a lot of people might not remember all that well but Warner wasn't available for the first two because remember he was still coming back from that broken elbow uh, and a concussion thing that he had in the test he was available for the third game but he didn't open he batted at number four because Marsh and Head were going so well at the top of the order so when you kind of combine that with I asked Michael DiVenuto after the third T20 about you know Travis Head and uh, potential of him. He was opening in the T20s. Will he open in the one dayers? Uh, I thought it was pretty straightforward. And he kind of said, "Oh well, you know, we're, you know, we got Warner, we got Travis Head, and we got Mitch Marsh in terms of our opening um, candidates." And it kind of made me think like that's a little bit interesting that they're still, you know, that Marsh wasn't just seen as a as a placeholder opener for that series, um, and that now we'd go back to to three or or even further down the middle order that that they might actually be considering him to to open. I think it's probably more likely that. Head and Warner are probably the the front runners to open, and then maybe you know just because you look up and down that fifteen man squad, the this, you know this isn't this isn't a squad that's been picked out of nowhere. They would have been thinking about it for quite some time. Uh, there's probably no one else in there as a as a standout opener, so they're probably just thinking we'll cover our bases with Mitch Marsh, we'll give him some experience at the top of the order, uh, and then we'll go back to Head and Warner who are a bit more tried and tested. They have been left in the lurch just a little bit, I, I guess, when you think about Aaron Finch. He said he this tournament he was targeting it right like he kind of said it would be the jumping off point for him in one day cricket, uh, and then he had that really poor series uh, that you were at um, up in North Queensland. And it kind of became apparent that you know he he just wasn't going to make it this far. So that's kind of been they've been scrambling a little bit to to I guess find uh, Warner's opening partner, um, and you know I think they've got their man in head. Yeah, some spicy pitches in Townsville and uh, Cairns didn't really help Finch's cause in that series, unfortunately for him. David Warner wasn't there for the T20 uh, portion of this tour, but he will be back for the one-day series. They've got five matches uh, that begins uh, tonight, Thursday, September 7, when this episode comes out. And so a good chance to get some credits in the bank in the white ball form of the game. Louis, how do you think the Aussies will balance their side come India? We might not see it in this series in South Africa, given how different conditions are. But as we get to the dustier, drier pitches of India, you know, it could look a whole lot different. This is, I think, the most interesting question um, if we're kind of looking through our um, you know, biggest talking points ahead of the World Cup. I've kind of mapped it out a little bit and kind of come up with three different templates, not necessarily the the exact players who will be in the team, although we have a pretty good um, understanding of who's, who's going to be around the mark. But I've kind of mapped out the three different models that I think Australia um, might look at and then a fourth one that they have looked at in the past and probably won't anymore. So if you oh, okay. maybe maybe allow me to step step you through it. I mean, this isn't news to a lot of people, but I think it's kind of helpful. I guess the first one is kind of the traditional six batsmen, a wicketkeeper and four specialist bowler and one one spinner. And that's probably the one Australia go to the most, right? Like with with Adam, if you're thinking about them at full choice, Adam Zampa is the one spinner. You've got the big three quicks. You've got Carey in there at six or seven. Uh, and then you've got, uh, I'm saying six batters, um, including Marsh and Maxwell and, and Stoinis in there because they're batting all rounders first and foremost. And that's kind of the one where they brought took that into the 2019 World Cup and you're relying on Stoinis uh, and Maxwell and Marsh to kind of make up the balance of your fifth bowler's um, allocation. So that's kind of the most traditional one and I reckon we'll see that at different points during the World Cup. Yeah, and they went against the grain with that at the T20 World Cup in the UAE, didn't they? And they obviously won that tournament so maybe they'll be taking a bit of inspiration out of that selection. Exactly right. And the knock on that was, well, it just weakens that fifth bowling spot and it, and it can be big in T20 cricket, right? Like you, it's all about matchups and, you know, four overs from someone who's not quite there with the ball that can really hurt you, and, and it did at times in that tournament. And then they kind of overcame it and got enough out of Stornis, Maxwell, and Marsh, particularly Maxwell in in a few games. So that's the yeah, you're right. That's the World Cup winning T20 World Cup winning model. Uh, it's the one they're most comfortable with. The other way of doing it is pretty much the same, except you have two spinners uh, and two specialist quick bowlers. So this would be, they've gone to this in Asia a, a little bit. Um, particularly in India, and that kind of opens the door to play Agar and Zampa together. They've been really good in the games they've played together, so um, they can still do that with this kind of squad that they've picked. And then the third kind of model that I think is the most intriguing is what I'm calling Ron Ball. And 
Uh, it's one that they haven't used a whole lot in one day cricket until McDonald took over as coach last year. And that's where they play seven batters, seven top order players. You include basically all four all rounders that they've got in the squad. So uh, Marsh Maxwell Stoinis plus Cameron Green. You've got the keeper and Alex Carey, and then you only play three specialist bowlers. One of them is, you know, it's India. One of them is going to be a spinner. That This is a really interesting one. So they tried it kind of for the first time in Sri Lanka last year. I think it was only one or two games. Uh, and then they tried to get New Zealand at home. They did it against India uh, in India earlier this year. But just for one, one day or at a time, they didn't kind of get a, a, a long run at it. And there was, a, I think you were up at the game where Kerry and Green uh, put on about 150 um, in, a, in a short run chase. It was only chasing about 200. Um, and Green came in at seven and they had Maxwell at eight. So Green and Kerry could kind of bat with a bit of freedom knowing they had, you know, Glenn Maxwell, uh, an excellent one-day batter coming in below them. That's the one I reckon they're going to use at different points in this World Cup. That's the one that the, the selection of Green probably over, you know, someone like Manus Labuschain, it just telegraphs that this is what Australia are potentially looking at if conditions dictate. Hmm, I like that thinking, Lou. Uh, do you need more than five bowlers? I mean, we know that how many all-rounders Australia have picked in this squad. For an ODI and especially a World Cup, do you need more than just five bowlers? You probably want six or seven options, don't you, in an ideal situation? Well, that's kind of the beauty of this one. Um, so I guess the strengths are that extra batting that you've got. You've got really good players like Carey, Green, Maxwell coming six, seven, eight. That's That's a real luxury. So it lengthens your batting. Um, and then you, you, the knock is that, you know, kind of um, almost doubly as so um, with the, the one we're relying on your fifth bowler. You're relying on um, your batters, you know, your, your frontline batters to make up 20 overs rather than just 10. Uh, so that's, that's a knock on that. But when you with the all-round talent Australia's got, when you've got Green and you've got Marsh and you've got Stoinis and you've got Maxwell, Maybe you just kind of say, well, you know, two or three of those guys will be able to come off and do well enough and you mix and match your combinations depending on the conditions uh, to get at least 20 overs out of those four guys. So it kind of leans into the um, this glut of all-rounders that they've got at the moment. So uh, it's it's really interesting. It, it probably doesn't open um, – probably doesn't really have much of a door for Ashton Agar to play in this situation when you think Zampa is probably the number one spinner. But you look at Agar, I mean, Agar's a really good bowler in, in the subcontinent in Wapol cricket, but you look at his overall ODI average with the ball, it's 46. Uh, and that's not necessarily a knock on him. It's just more saying, well, we look at Cameron Green, the average is 34 with the ball in one-day cricket. Stoinis is 43, so similar to Agar. Marsh is 35. Uh, and Maxwell's actually 50, so a bit higher than, than Agar. But So you kind of go, well, whatever he could do or whatever that third quick could do, you're kind of getting 70 or 80% out of those, those frontline batters anyway. Gee, I really thought Maxwell's ODI bowling average would be a bit lower than 50, but... Um, so did I, actually. Yeah. Uh, he might be called upon a bit, as will the Quicks, who we know that's one of Australia's strengths. They've got the big three, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, who have been so dominant in all formats, really, for the last however long. It seems like forever they've been going around. And now there might be the situation where Australia can only pick two or only potentially pick one, depending on the conditions of these two. What's... We know Pat Cummins is captain, but does that mean he's the first choice of these quicks? Really good question. I think there there might be times where they might, you know, look at resting Cummins during a World Cup. You know, you've got that Netherlands game around the halfway point. So, um, you know, just kind of speculating, but maybe he's played all the games uh, along the way and you kind of go, well, you can have a slightly weaker opponent. Um, if they've done well in the first four or five, they might be able to to rest the, the skipper at, at that point. You've got a, a decent deputy there in in Steve Smith and, and some others. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's the captain, so he's got to be in the team. I mean, if you're picking the team for the final, um, then then he's in. You'd probably assume Stark is just about the best white ball, arguably the best white ball bowler Australia have ever had, particularly in one-day cricket. I mean, he's been player of the – was he player of the tournament in 2019? Because he, he was in 2015, wasn't he? Uh, I think Stokes got that honour in right. 2019. But, yeah, I think he was in, in 15 when Australia won. And, and he's certainly the leading wicket taker at both 2015 and 2019. So he's indispensable. He's their only left arm quick, uh, which is, you know, an interesting point of difference. Um, and like you look at the England squad, for for example, that they've picked, they've got three left arm fast bowlers in Sam Curran, Reese Topley and David Willey. 
uh, and Australia only have one. So Stark is really important. Comes as obviously the captain. Josh Haydwood's the number one ODI bowler in the world. Um, someone pointed <laughs> that out to me earlier this morning. So in that situation, you're going to have to leave him out for Adam Zampa. I mean, Hazelwood arguably is the best death bowler out of those three. We know how good he's become in T20 cricket and he's nearly first picked above uh, Cummins and Stark in a T20 team. So that would be a really tricky uh, thing for them to navigate. It might be the kind of thing where they'd mix and match and um, rotate those three around before a harder decision comes towards the back end of the tournament. So uh, that's that's a really, really interesting dynamic, I think. And uh, matchups as well could play a part as mm-hmm. well as the tournament goes on. Uh, Nathan Ellis, he's one of your favourites. He's been in South Africa, he's been performing well. He did miss the cut for this World Cup squad, unfortunately. There were a couple others who were close to him, David, minus Labuschagne, Tanvir Sanger. Even Daniel Hughes, who's been dominating in one-day cricket. Uh, who are the ones who need to be ready in your case there's an injury? Who are the next kids on the block? Yeah, well, I think Manus Labuschagne uh, has to be because – and I think he's got a really good opportunity during these five one-days against South Africa starting Thursday, as you, you mentioned. He's only averaging 25 since the start of 2022. So his ODI numbers have dipped and he's admitted that. George Bailey said that's why they've kind of left him out. Uh, he's kind of the one player they don't really have in their squad. I, I, I guess Steve Smith is probably the one, but if he was to get injured at any point or if he was to miss a game, they probably don't have a real like-for-like replacement. It's probably a, a Josh Inglis who comes in in that situation um, as that kind of middle-order guy who can hold things together. Um, and, and I think Inglis is a really versatile player. But, um, yeah, I think Marnus would be the one where, you know, say someone like Cameron Green, just you know, not saying he's injured, but if he were to, to kind of drop out, I reckon they wouldn't necessarily go like for like. They'd, they'd go somewhere like Marnus because it just gives them the flexibility to, to play different kinds of teams. Tanvir Sanger, I think, um, with spinners, we know Ashton Agar's got a bit of an injury history um, just overall. So he's probably someone that you, you're kind of keeping a close eye on and Sanger's the next spinner in and, you know, um, fast bowlers get injured all the time. So Ellis would have, I imagine there would have been a bit of discussion with selectors over whether it's Abbott, whether it's Ellis uh, for that final spot. Abbott probably got the nod, you know, with the batting, a bit more experienced, um, maybe a, a touch quicker as well. Uh, he probably got the nod over Ellis, but, you know, you know Ellis could, could kind of come in and, and do a pretty good job if someone got hurt. I think Tim David's kind of the interesting one. Uh, because he offers something that that's, I guess they do have the finishing power with Maxwell and, and even Stoinis, but um, he, he's a bit of a wild card, I reckon, because he's uh, he's a specialist batter. Um, he doesn't bowl, and normally those kind of guys at six and seven, you know, it's hard to carry a specialist batter at, at that position. But because there's so much other all round talent, maybe they could look at him if uh, someone else was to get hurt. Yeah, I have a feeling it won't be too long before we see David in the one-day side. Louis, what do you reckon is the balance there between the guys who are more happy to take singles and the guys who are more power hitters? I mean, ODI cricket, they're long innings. 50 overs is a long time to bat. How many, is there a perfect balance or can you just go all bashers? Like what's the sort of perfect balance for Australia? Yeah, it's a really good question. It kind of it was the question we were asking in the lead into the 2019 World Cup. I remember, like that tournament. I remember the lead in was so much about how England were playing, and everyone was caught up in, um, you know, they'd hit 480 against Australia against a really weak Australian attack. It must be said the year before, uh, and they were kind of just going all guns blazing, and everyone thought, well, maybe someone's going to make 500 at this World Cup. Like this this is going to be the one. They're going to get on a small pitch in England, uh, conditions will just be in their favour and, and it's going to happen. And then you look at the final and England won it, well, England tied it twice uh, and got awarded the trophy. And But it was 250 players, 250, you know, half, which is half of 500. Uh, I'm not great at maths, but I, I can work that one out. <laughs> and so I, I do think that, look, India, a bit like England, will there's smaller grounds than, say, Australia, so you're going to get some big scores. Teams, you know, no doubt there will be some 400 games during this World Cup, but there will also be, I reckon, as pitches kind of get more tired and spin more, um, there's also going to be, you know, 210 might be a winning score and it might be kind of old school ODI cricket. 
so you need a bit of both, I guess, is the point. And that's where I reckon Australia are going with. Um, they probably lent more heavily towards the the hitters as opposed to the the kind of nerdlers at this point. But I think they're kind of backing a, a pretty experienced squad to be able to, you know, find that balance between sometimes just batting your 50 overs versus, um, you know, going going at eight and over. Well, you mentioned it's an experienced squad. You've got a pretty good stat on the age demographic of this squad and it's very, very different to squads they've taken to World Cups in the past. Yeah, well, it kind of feeds into our, our last question. Where are the youngsters? Where, where are we? Where are our kind of spark um, from a younger brigade? And you kind of think that this might be a bit of a swan song for a lot of the guys who are all above 30. So the, the stat that I've got is that this squad only has four players younger than 30. Uh, two of them are 29 in Travis, uh, Travis Head and Ashton Agar. Josh Inglis is 28 and Cameron Green is the kind of baby at 24. If you look at the 2015 World Cup winning team, so just the 11, so it's a smaller uh, group, uh, but that only had four older than 30, and that was Mitch Johnson, Brad Haddon, Watson, Shane Watson, and Michael Clark. So a kind of that old school core of guys who had, had been there and done it, but then you had this probably golden generation of players in guys who are still around now in, um, uh, well, not Finch, but you know he, he, he only recently retired, but Warner, Stark, uh, Hazelwood, uh, James Faulkner's, you know, been been around that squad. Probably didn't quite kick on, um, and, and guys like Glenn Maxwell as well. So all guys in their mid to lateish twenties, uh, who are kind of, you know, around about their, you know, that you might say their prime of their career. They hope it wasn't the prime of the career. They hope their prime of the career is now. But um, yeah, it's just a, a really different um, complexion of squad in terms of that age range. Yeah, and, and well, Mitchell Marsh and Pat Cummins were in that squad as well, weren't they? And they have carried on to this tournament as well. So that's the World Cup squad that Australia are taking. Do we want to just have a quick little uh, pulse check on the team in South Africa at the minute? A 3-0 series win in the T20 series uh, ahead of the ODI series. Uh, in the first match, Australia took it out by 111 runs. Mitchell Marsh, 92, not out there in his first match as captain. Second match, Australia won by eight wickets. Marsh again dominated with 79 off 39. And in the fifth T20, Australia won by five wickets. Sean Abbott took four wickets and Travis Head, 91. What are our takeaways from this? Do we really care too much at this point? I mean, it's a long time until the next World Cup or is it relevant to World Cup, ODI World Cup preparation? A little bit. Like I don't think it hurt Sean Abbott, for example, that he took eight wickets at 8.7, I think it was, and um, really put his case forward that he should be uh, in the one-day squad, albeit in a different, doing well in a different format. Uh, The form of Mitch Marsh, you know, coming off the back of the Ashes where he had that beautiful century at Old Trafford and now dominating in the the shortest format as well. And as captain, right, like a a guy who, you know, it wasn't a slam dunk that he was definitely going to captain in uh, Pat Cummins' absence. Um, and he seems to have taken that on really well. I'm looking forward to asking Sean Abbott actually about how uh, Mitch Marsh has gone as captain. You know the kind of different flavour that that he might have brought. So, yeah, it's it was a little bit short of relevance just in terms of you know we've got an ODI World Cup and that's kind of all we care about at the moment. Um, uh, but I guess looking forward to next year's T20 World Cup, we're kind of talking about this older group of players now going to the ODI World Cup. Well, there's probably a few of those who might not get there to the next one, um, or at least you know their their positions might come under threat from from some other guys. You know, particularly thinking about Tim David, thinking about Nathan Ellis, uh, and both those players had some some promising form as well. So yeah, a bit of you know something to kind of um, put in the memory bank and remember for next time we play some T20s, which will be right on the back of this upcoming ODI World Cup. So the career doesn't doesn't stop at any point. But, uh, yeah, it's probably, we'll just probably park it for a little bit, I suppose. Well, you can catch all the remaining ODIs before the World Cup on KO and Foxtel. That's five against South Africa and then three against India before jumping into the World Cup in uh, just over a month's time. Louis, thanks for joining me to chat through the squad. Why don't we jump into your chat now? with Australian bowling all-rounder, Sean Abbott. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm here with Sean Abbott on the Unplayable Podcast. He's a happy man because he's just been picked in a World Cup squad for the first time, Australia naming their 15-man squad for the World Cup. He's got a big grin on his face and why shouldn't he? Sean, you, you, must, be, uh, you must be delighted. Yeah, Louis, mate, over the moon. So, um, yeah, first time getting picked in a World Cup squad. But, but um, you know, at the same time, we've got a huge five games over here in South Africa up against a pretty good South African lineup. So, um yeah, whilst it's nice for the moment, uh, we've got a big game, you know, coming up tomorrow and then, you know, another four after that. So still a while away, that World Cup. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. You're over in Bloemfontein. That game, first ODI starts about 9pm, I think it is, on Fox and KO on Thursday evening for people wanting to stay up nice and late. Uh, we will talk a little bit about that. But I just wanted to ask you, uh, you know, first of all, like how does how do you find out about these things, Sean? Like was it a surprise when, uh, you know, Selector tells you or how did you kind of kind of take it? Um, I obviously feel like I'm, like I feel like I'm going pretty well at the moment, um, you know, but there's so much talent around and it's such a such a strong squad as everyone's seen with the squad that's been released, you know, we're, we're going to be up there contending at the, at the pointy end of the world cup, you know, I believe. So, um, to be named in that 15 man squad, you know, it's obviously unbelievable and I feel like it's a great achievement. Um, yeah. So, uh, selected Tony Dottomade got around to us yesterday, but obviously, you know, a lot can, lot can change between now and the end of the month. Um, and, you know, as I just mentioned, we've got five games um, and, you know, I think we're still able to bring guys in and out of that squad. So, um, yeah, whilst it's nice for the minute um, and I'll definitely give myself a pat on the back because I felt like I've worked pretty hard for it. Um, there's a lot of hard work yet still to do before we even get over in India. I'm going to ask you about the South Africa series in a little bit, but um, you know, just thinking about the the busy few months that you've had, and you were telling me a little bit about it just before we uh, we started recording here. It's been a really busy time for you. Can you can you kind of tell the listeners, I guess, about what you've been up to since the end of the last uh, Australian summer, that finishing, and you know what what's kind of running through your mind, and you know was was this World Cup kind of on your list as as something that you, you'd hoped you'd make? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a busy been a busy year this year, like in terms of a calendar year. Um, but it's been, you know, thoroughly enjoy, enjoyable. I mean, we finished this, I finished the season up with the, with the blues and I was hoping to have a few weeks off and go on a holiday, but, um, Alex Stewart being as persuasive as he is, uh, got me over <laughs> for round one for the, for the championship season up in Manchester against Lancashire. And I think it was two degrees when I walked across the ground form up on the first morning. So, um, no, but he promised to give me a couple of weeks off on um, the bar round in round three and then the week after that off. So, um, you know, but once I sort of had that two-week break, it's it's pretty well been non-stop since then. But um, there were a number of times throughout the, the championship season where I was, you know, standing in the field with the Surrey lads and I was pretty grateful that I was, um, you know, getting the field, getting the chance to take the field with them. Um, they're a good group and obviously it's a great ground. You know, every time we get to watch Australia take on England at the Oval, you know, it's a bit of a spectacle. So, um, you know, a bit crazy there with their schedule for a little while. You know, we we'd play Thursday to Sunday most weeks, and then there was a couple of couple of games there where we'd, we'd turn around on a Tuesday and play, and then rock up on a Thursday again and play. So there was a fair bit happening, and sort of we only you know I got home um, you know about a, just over a month ago and was home for about two weeks before um, you know having to come over here to South Africa, but. You know, it was t- tools down for two weeks, but felt extremely busy trying to get around and see family and, and see all my loved ones that I haven't seen for quite a while. So um, it was good to dig the toes into the sand um, back home and, and have a swim in the ocean. But um, uh, yeah, and it's been pretty full on since we've got here, as everyone's saying. You know, we've had you know barely a day between games, and we've we've 
made the most of that time by going out on the golf course and playing golf. So unfortunately, I haven't been able to take down Bison and Stein. It has already been mentioned by them, but uh, <laughs> you know, I've uh, sorted my swing out um, and I'll take them down hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Who's leading the golf power rankings at the moment? Because I imagine you've got you've had some of the big dogs out, right? Like Starks probably right up there, probably a couple of the other boys who's who's been kind of tearing it up. Um, are we talking power rankings in terms of how fast some of these boys are eating the ball or how well they're scoring? Yeah, that's that's all anyone cares about, right? <laughs> Mate, I was in a I was playing the other day with uh, I was in a group with Marcus Steinus. Mitch Marsh and Tim David, and we all know how hard they hit the cricket ball. But there was a there was one par five in particular. Um, all four of us were in the fairway, which was a miracle in itself. And <laughs> I was the shortest by a long way, and I was you know I was just over three hundred from the tee, and these boys were like another forty meters down the tee box, and I'm just like, you know what, it's just not even fun anymore watching these boys fly past <laughs> me. Um, but uh, golf power rankings, I definitely have to say that Mitch Marsh is using up his members' bounces. I reckon there was one course last week where he <laughs> hit this massive pull draw, which was at least 100 metres over deep mid-wicket, you know, left. Massive pull draw. He's hit it miles. We get down and we heard it hit, we heard it hit a house roof tiles. Like it was – we thought we were going to be in some strife. And we get down to the middle of the fairway and his ball's there. It was bounced 100 metres on someone's <laughs> roof, out of bounds, and then back onto the fairway. So Mitch has been the lucky one. Um, mate, we've, we've been pretty bored, to be honest. But I'd have to say, I reckon we're giving Trav, Trav Head a bit of stick because he leaves his – he only goes out with irons. He doesn't take a three-wood or a driver, but he's probably been the best, I reckon. His putting's been on fire. Those the boring golfers, they're always the best, but it's I mean it's not much fun, right? Like you go out there and you want to hit the ball a long way. Like he deserves a bit of flack, I think, for that. I wouldn't uh I certainly wouldn't say his golf's boring. It's entertaining. Um Right, okay. Even though he doesn't take drivers and woods, he's still uh is still a bit of ball speed off the tee. As you could expect with right. Trav. Yeah. Just before we move on from the golf chat, I should ask if Josh Inglis has managed to repair his six iron because I know he's also been named in this World Cup squad, but there was a bit of a mishap last time he played golf uh, around about a World Cup, I think. <laughs> Mate, he's been on dad duties. His wife, Megan, and, and young son, Oscar, over here. So he's been he's been locked away being a, being a good dad and doing the right thing. So we haven't seen him out in the golf course yet. Maybe a good thing uh, yeah. for now. So Mitch Marsh can't find a fairway, but he's been seeing the ball pretty well on the cricket field. Uh, pretty remarkable start to his life as as captain. What's he? You know, first of all, what's that kind of like to to witness as a teammate that that T Twenty series? That he's just kind of dominated, and what's he been like as skipper? Mate, I, um, it's just nice to not be on the receiving end of it as we usually are back home at the Big Bash. So. It's good to be sitting in the change room with my feet up, just enjoying it uh, from the other side of the fence. So, and I said that to, I mean, I was having a chat with Aidan Markram after one of the games. Um, I think it was after the second game. And I was like, mate, it's just like sometimes when a guy that, that is that big and strong is going, like there's honestly not much you can do about it sometimes. You know, and I, and I said in the, after the game that they weren't easy wickets to bat on. I think the, all three wickets suited um, the bowlers and I think we went out as a group we went out and bowled really well all three games but I think as I've said in the in the press it was I think it was a real testament to our batters and the way they went out and played you know especially Mitch Shorty and, and Trav in that last game like it was not easy and we hit them off their length um, you know some players who've you know played some test cricket and know you know how to hit a, hit a good length and present the seam and he, here are our boys just you know, park him over deep mid wicket um, off off their best length, and all of a sudden they've got a bold defensive on a wicket that suits, um, you know, an attacking style of bowling. So, um, you know, that was that was that was the the thing I was most impressed about uh, with our batting. Yeah, that's a really good insight because I think especially that third T twenty, just kind of watching from afar, that looked quite um, like tricky to bat on at, at different times. But both teams, you know, managed to to get a, a kind of decent score together. Just on, um, on on Mitch Marsh, like he, I, I know one of the big things his, his good mate Pat Cummins has talked about uh, the team and the environment you want to create is kind of creating that fun kind of environment. Like I imagine Mitch as a pretty funny, humorous kind of character that that we all kind of know now. Um, has he kind of you know doubled down on on that? Um, yeah, I mean it's. I mean, I mean, some people, you know, I, I suppose, 
you know, it might not be, they might sort of hear us saying, you know, focus on fun and, and being happy and stuff is like, well, you know, you're playing for the Australian cricket team and you're about to go in a world cup or coming up against a really strong having time. Like it's, you know, you know, we can't all be fun and, you know, relaxation and that sort of stuff. But, you know, we we're talking about it the other day, you know, the feeling that we had after we played, you know, we're sitting around having a beer after the third T20, you know, series win for Australia, you know, it's awesome and stuff and we're celebrating. And we're like, even though we have this fun, relaxed environment and Mitch has done really well to, you know, be the facilitator of that, you can really notice when, you know, when guys have to turn up to training or turn up to a game, you know, they're on and they, you know, and everyone's, you know, ready to go and everything's almost sort of happening automatically. Um, and that's just sort of doesn't come, you know, overnight. And I think the guys have been working on that for a long time now and it's it's evident to see with the test team as well. It's a pretty similar vibe in the test team from what I've heard. Um, you know, it's not just happened this tour and it's not just been Mitch, it's been Pat and, and Andrew for for a long time now. Um, and Mitch is just sort of, you know, you know, I think going about that in his own way and sort of elevating that again in his own way. Um, you know, because we're, you know, you could, we've just spoken about the schedule and, you know, even though I wasn't with the test team, I've come from a different schedule. Guys like Timmy David have, you know, he's barely been home for a couple of years, to be honest, just flying from team to team, doing really well. Um, you know, if, if guys aren't happy and enjoying the environment, you know, how can they go into training and, and get the best out of themselves and then into the game? And um, So it's nice that, you know, Mitch has come in in his first week and he's sort of just, you know, I have so much trust in you guys to rock up at training and do what you need to do. Or if you don't need to go to training, you know, he just trusts that we're ready to go. And then when we get out into the paddock, it's just all like automatically. Guys are in position. Guys are playing well. You know, we didn't seem to have that. Um, sometimes when you get, new guys coming to the group it takes a little bit to get used to each other to gel together it was like almost straight away um you know i'm not and i'm not surprised you know that's just you know that's just the way mitch is you know he's he's very good at uh getting people together and managing men so um he's been like that you know i think i first started playing i think mum sent me a photo the other day of um we had a little under 19s trip against india down in hobart um and i think that's when i first sort of started playing with mitch when i first met him and he's been the same ever since then um, as far as I can tell, yeah, yeah, that's uh, you, you both of you would have been kind of oversized eighteen year olds at that point, I imagine. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was certainly a man child. I was probably oversized, just a bit, you know, a bit of puppy fat <laughs> at the time. But yeah, Mitch was a big human. <laughs> it's um, and it's an interesting one around that kind of fun environment that you know we we hear you guys all speak about that a lot, and I reckon it's a funny one for people to hear about because it's it, it's almost kind of like the opposite of what. You know, we all kind of, like battlers playing club cricket. Like it's almost the opposite. Like people, you know, you spend all week doing your, you know, nine to five job and then you turn up to cricket and that's when you're, you're super intense and you might have a coach kind of getting you up and stuff like that. Whereas I imagine my read is for you guys and tell me if, if this is wrong, but you guys don't need the motivation. Like you, you're all getting paid, you know, very well to do um, a high pressure job. You don't need, you know, more pressure kind of laden on top of you. Is that is that kind of the the, the philosophy? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, whatever your motivation is to be at this level, I think we're all extremely you can't be you can't be in this team or on tour for your country or playing at this level unless you're extremely competitive, I think. And you know, we don't need as as far as I can tell, in my opinion, in this group, there's no one that needs an extra extra motivation or an extra kick up the bum to go into training and do what they need to do to get ready. No one's gonna turn up to any game for their country and not be ready to go, whether they've just taken, you know, five days off and, you know, been tools down and just said, you know, I'm going to get my headspace right. I'm going to be good to go. Um, I'll hit a couple of balls in the warm up a bowl if you want to be sweet or if guys have really hit a lot of balls, you know. Um, but I mean, we've, we've sort of, you know, there's a lot of trust that guys are just going to be ready, but like we will look at gaps in the schedule, say, I think we get a 11 day break or something during the world cup and, you know, guys are already looking around. How can we just get like a little, a few days there where we can just, you know, sort of relax, be together, switch off for a little bit. But even though it's in the middle of a world cup, um, because between, you know, over this next month or so while we're in South Africa, there's not really going to be much time for training. Um, and if there is, you might, if there's guys that aren't really playing, you probably, you know, allow them the chance to, to play or oh, not you not play sorry you allow them the chance to train and you know sometimes you really just need to be told by the the strength conditioning coach like mate you need to actually relax you know even though you might feel good 
your the intensity of the last few games and travel has been ridiculous. So, um, yeah, a lot of times for us, like I mentioned, it's like, all right, we've got we've got an 11-day break here between games. Obviously, there'll be a few days training there, but we actually get three days, you know, a couple of days where we're just going to have time to, you know, either sit down in the park in India somewhere and just relax and have a have a chai tea or something or, um, you know, whether that's, you know, duck off on a little Indian holiday for a couple of days. Um, you know, we're sort of focused on that to make sure we're set and recharged and, and going uh, going hard again when we get the chance. Yeah, and I know that kind of environment and those those vibes was something I heard Adam Zampa talk a bit about the other day, thinking about the last uh, World Cup that Australia won, the 2021 T20 World Cup, which was different, right, because you had the – and I know you weren't part of this, but um, I imagine you would have spoken to guys, but it was that kind of COVID tournament. You're all in bubbles and um, and you probably couldn't, you know, go down to the park for, for a chai tea or, or whatever your beverage is. Um, so how do you, how do you kind of create those vibes, uh, with, you know, with things changing a little bit and over such a, such a long period of time? Um, yeah, that, to be honest, that world cup gets spoken about a lot. Like we've already had a few dinners here where we're sitting around and, you know, guys are just like, you know, that was obviously unbelievable. They're showing photos and I'm like asking questions, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, that, that was an example, I think of a tour where there wasn't really much time to train. Um, and all the guys really did most of the time, which I'm sure everyone's heard. It's like there was a lot of time to go and play golf because you could be away from the public and golf courses obviously weren't really open to the public, I don't think, at that stage. Um, so the guys were mm. bonding and playing golf and and that was sort of their escape from playing games. But when they turned up to games, it was like, you know, we're obviously seeing this Australian team play some unbelievable cricket. Um, you know, they thought they were down and out there at one stage when um, England beat them. Then all of a sudden, England got beaten, and they needed to. Australia needed to beat a couple of teams by a lot, and then they did. And then all of a sudden, they're in the final. Um, so it was really cool to hear. You know, their if a couple of guys give their rendition of that story because you know they all thought they were down and out. And, but what was most impressive was just you know they obviously couldn't have families and stuff there. They were away for ages, and you know they're just having a good time on the golf course. But when they you know, they almost flick a switch when they get to the cricket field. And, you know, that's all sort of dependent on the on the, the personnel that you've got around at that time. Like, you know, there's always, there's a different dynamic here. Like some you know, some guys are, have come in and some guys have, you know, cut, um, got dropped out. So, but I'm, I'd imagine like this, this World Cup and this, while we're over here in South Africa, it's probably going to be something similar. You know, most of the core group is the same. Um, and everyone's very much, you know, on board with the, you know, don't need to go over training and doing, you know, a great deal and feeling like you need to prove yourself on the training paddock because we've got a hell of a lot of games and a hell of a lot of travel coming up. So look after your headspace and look after your bodies and I think the cricket will look after itself because we're all looking out for each other. And I imagine when these guys are showing you the photos of, you know, what, what they did and how they celebrated that kind of World Cup, you know, for you, it's probably like, I want to be a part of that, right? Like, if you kind of just think about your own journey to this point, Sean, like, I was just kind of looking back at your career and trying to piece together, you know, when you played and kind of noticed that, you know, I just forgotten that you debuted so long ago that you, you first played international cricket in 2014. When you kind of think of, you know, from from then to to getting another crack in twenty twenty, and then COVID and and injuries and stuff. Were there points where you thought that you just might not get a, a good run at international cricket? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a hell of a bloody journey to be honest. I was thinking about it the other day, just having a moment, um, having you know, listening to some some music on the plane over um, from Durban to to here in Bloemfontein, and um, you know, sort of reflecting on on my journey and you know that the ebbs and flows, ups and downs and all that sort of thing. Um, I don't think there was ever a time where I didn't think I was going to get a good crack at it. I don't know, maybe it's just the because I'm, you know, I'm quite competitive and I always thought, you know, I didn't think I was, never thought I was better than anyone else, but I just thought if I could, I knew I could stay on the park because, you know, physical preps, you know, such a big focus of mine and, and I just feel like if I can stay on the park, you know, at some stage I think, an opportunity will come about somewhere, but it does get a bit intimidating sometimes, you know, when you have, you know, guys like Pat um, Hoff and Starkey that are doing well game in and game out. You have guys that have played all around, you know, guys that are coming in and out that are, you know, playing just as well and just as talented. Um, and you're like, well, you know, I feel like I'm five or six players back now. And then you don't 
have a good few games back home in the domestic circuit. But, um, you know, pretty fortunate. I've had a lot of good people around me along the journey um, and, you know, just chuffed that I'm here, you know, getting a, you know, getting some opportunities, but I feel like I'm playing well and my cricket's in a good space. So, you know, just trying to, I'm really, really bad at like staying present and I'm, you know, have been thinking about like the World Cup and other stuff a lot, but, you know, I forgot that I had to play three T20s before, you know, you know, there was 10, you know, I think it was about 10 one day game, one day internationals before the first World Cup game. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I've got to focus on these first three T20s first, you know, bring your head back and, and switch on, mate. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been amazing. And it's something that I, you know, sort of reflect on quite a bit, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm pretty grateful that I'm over here touring, touring for my country. And I'm really fascinated by that dynamic. You kind of talked about Josh and Pat and Mitch Stark. Like you've kind of been, um, you know, in their shadow for for maybe one of a, a better word for for quite a while. And I mean, the the fact that you're there with them at New South Wales and you train with them and and you see them all the time. Like, is that is it a blessing? Is it a curse? Is it has it helped your career? Um, I mean, I, I to be honest, I feel like I'm in a more fortunate position than anyone else because, um they're three such good people and they're very giving with their time when they're not on tour. Um, and if they, oh, obviously they'll, if, when they're home from tour for Australia, you know, they're, when they get the chance to come and train for the blues, you know, they're very giving with their time in that respect that they'll allow me the space to, to chew their ears off uh, about cricket. If they, if they're coming back to play shield cricket, there's obviously a lot of time during a shield game or after having a beer or two to, to chat cricket. So, um, I think I'm probably more fortunate than most that, you know, these three guys have been playing cricket uh, for their country for so long. You know, I'm they're trying to slot into a position with them somewhere, um, but I get the chance to spend time with them, see how they go about it, talk to them about what it's like at that level. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably more a more fortunate position than most and something that I'm more grateful of than like, oh, man, you got to stop playing so well so I can have a go or, you know, have a couple of couple of months off so the rest of us can have a go so um yeah more grateful than not to be honest yeah it's a, it's a double-edged sword kind of being you know around the same age a little bit younger than three kind of generational bowlers has there been one little bit of little nugget from any three of them kind of along the journey that's that's really stuck with you that that's really helped you um oh mate there's been there's been plenty over the years to be honest but i think maybe if I'm, you know, probably it took me a while to, to be honest, to sort of get my red ball cricket going in the direction that I wanted. And there's been many people that have helped me that, you know, there's been many things that have sort of nudged me on the right path and helped me go the right way. But I reckon I was averaging, you know, 40 or even more with the ball up until a few years ago. Um, and I sort of started to play a bit better, bowl a bit better. And then I remember having a beer with Camo. Um, you know, we had a pretty good win. Camo came in, played shield cricket and at the SCG and he was in, felt like he was in second gear for the game, took eight for, you know, four for both digs. And I think he scored 40 odd, not out both digs. Like training run for the great man. So um, but I remember, I think we, we, we all went out for, a, you know, a quiet beer after. And I was just chatting to him about bowling. And he's like, honestly, mate, I do not try and swing it. I'll just try and bowl straight down fourth stump and eventually they'll just nick him. And I was like, eventually for you, mate, like you're bowling, you're bowling gas and they seem to nick every fourth ball that you're bowling down fourth stump. He's like, I know, mate, but you know, it's everyone, you know, sort of can overcomplicate it at times. And, um, you know, when he, when he said that to me, I sort of tried to grab that and run with a little bit because, you know, he's a guy that's averaging low twenties for his country. His strike rate is, was ridiculous. I think it still is. And all he's telling me to do is bowl down fourth stump. And I, and I understand that he's, you know, he's, he's pat, he has different attributes and all that sort of stuff. He's extremely accurate. But, you know, his message to me at that time was just to keep it really simple. And I certainly felt like at times, or for most of my bowling anyway, up until then, I really tried to think I could swing it both ways, do this and do that. And you know, basically, I was just getting carded everywhere and averaging over 40. So um, it was nice to sort of sit down and chat cricket with Pat for a little bit there and you know the one thing I took from that was you know just to sort of simplify things and just hit fourth stump over and over and over again. That's a fascinating insight and I remember speaking to him for the 
Um, I did a piece on the wobble seam kind of leading into the ashes. And he kind of talked about, and probably not dissimilar to maybe what you went through, but when he was coming back from injury, he was trying to, um, it, all the coaches were trying to get him to bowl that perfect outswinger and he, he just couldn't do it. And it was kind of, I think it was kind of nice for everyone to kind of hear that Pat Cummins couldn't do something with a cricket ball. But, <laughs> and he kind of got to, got back to test level and he they basically said, well, actually it, it doesn't matter. Like if you, you are kind of getting the seam, it's wobbling and, it, you know, you're moving off the seam and stuff. So, that kind of doesn't matter as much. So I imagine he probably had a similar moment to you. Yeah, I mean, I've even spoken to him, you know, once before about um, I was opening the bowling for the Blues in one-day cricket. But then I sort of mentioned with red ball as well. I was like, man, I'm struggling, you know, to swing the ball. You know, I'm not really swinging the ball as much now. And I'm not – every time I try and swing it down the line to a left-hander, it ends up you know, wide outside off half volley. I'm getting carded. And he's like, mate, to be honest – I don't even try and swing the ball, especially the lefty. I just try and nip it across. If it swings back, great. If it doesn't, you know, it's in a good spot where I can take the edge. And I'm just like, this bloke's insane. You know, like, he's, you're, he goes, I'll go, you're like one of the best bowlers we've had for a long time. And you're, you know, you're not even trying to do anything with it. Like it's, um, but I don't know. You just have, I get just so, uh, to me at that point, he had so much trust in his game. He knew his game really well. And he, he knows that he's going to have success if he can just, you know, put enough pressure on the batsman in the, on an area that he wants. So, and we've seen how well that's worked. So he seems to do it game in, game out. He's pretty phenomenal. So, yeah, I'll, I'll um, anytime Paddy's got anything to say about cricket, especially, well, anything, to be honest, he's quite an intelligent young man. So, you know, I'm all his. <laughs> he's a, he a clever man. Just maybe finally on on that front, because you've, you've kind of talked a little about the Red Bull stuff. Obviously you've got a, you know, the big series in South Africa and, and then a big World Cup to follow, but, I imagine uh, you've got half an eye on you know the Test summer coming up and and your ambitions in that format and, and you did quite well with um with Surrey of course playing over there in the county championship. So is that you know still very much part of the you know the Sean Abbott um, that you know you, you want to finish your career as, as someone who's played a bit of Test cricket? Absolutely, mate. I'm like um it's still the number one dream of mine is to you know wear a baggy green and earn that um know that test cap and, and play test cricket for Australia. So, um, but again, it's one of those things like I feel like I'm, you know, playing really well. Um, but you have the the big three goobers that have been bowling so well for so long. <laughs> and then, mate, you look at the talent that we've got. I've mentioned it a few times, you know, in this last little while, I get it, when I get asked about playing test cricket, you know, you've got the big three and then you've got, you know, guys like Jai Richardson, you've got Michael Nessa. Obviously, he's been going unbelievably well with bat and ball could easily slot in there um scotty boland you know has been terrorizing you know domestic cricket for the last 10 or 12 years and he's gone out and done exactly the same thing um for australia um you know spencer's obviously burst under the sand and lance is bowling gas and, I'm, and there's a couple of others around australian domestic cricket as well that could easily slot in so there's plenty of depth there but um it's certainly you know my number one dream you know my dream is to play test cricket for australia you know obviously it's nice to be over here and and and, and getting opportunities and playing well but that's certainly in the back of my mind is to hopefully um step onto the test arena one day and 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 wear that baggy green we're all looking forward to, to hopefully seeing that at some point sean as as are we with uh with the upcoming odi world cup and of course the five game series in south africa as mentioned you can see it on fox and ko if you're watching in australia sean all the best for everything to come in the next couple of months thanks louis thanks for having me on the pod mate